0: You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. <laughs>
1: They are numbered on the SoundCloud, on the iTunes.
0: They are numbered. As we were just talking about before we went on the air, I uh, am on the spectrum, and uh, I think it's a tick. I think it's a, an obsessive-compulsive thing
1: with me. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, you're better than Jim Harbaugh. That's that's what I say. You're a step yeah, above really. Harbaugh, <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how you're a step below.
0: Yeah. But uh, So anyway, uh, that's Jasper Apollonia, co-host, as always, chiming in. Uh, Before we get into tonight's show, let me tell you that this episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast is brought to you by CaliTickets.com. That's Cali, C-A-L-I, going back to CaliTickets.com. You can call them at 877-225-8425 for all of your concert, sports venue ticket needs. Uh, 877-225-8425. I'm going to be hitting up Mark Goldman at CaliTickets.com. probably tomorrow, for some Guns N' Roses tickets at Soldier Field on Sunday. I'm going to be heading out there, miss them at Ford Field. Want Tiger tickets if you want to subject yourself to Lions games coming up in the fall. Anything like that, you can call CaliTickets.com. That's Cali Tickets. Uh, we're going to have actually a contest after probably around 6.30 uh, where we're going to give away a couple Tiger tickets with a uh, person who won a Twitter contest. And those tickets, Tiger tickets will be... Given to you by KellyTickets.com. So anyway, a little different show tonight. Instead of Jasper and I yelling at each other for an hour and 45 minutes about Andre Drummond. I prefer screaming, but... Yeah, yeah. And me having to back away from the mic. We actually have a guest in studio. Now, our audience kind of is a little younger, kind of like your age. So by the time our guest, Mr. Bob Page... Left Detroit, uh, you weren't even a thought in your divorced parents' mind at that point. Nineteen eighty-eight. So where were you? Negative what seven? I, I,
1: yes, I would have been negative uh, five years old at the time. Uh, Bob, Page, good year for me. Uh, a, a
0: legend in this town when I was growing up. You uh, worked for uh, Riff WJR WXYZ Channel Seven uh, WJZZ, where I mostly knew him when I was in my early teens was a sports show called um, Sports View Today that he co-hosted on a weekly basis on local cable channels on Channel 62 with a a guy named Ron Cameron, Cameron, excuse me, who we will get into a little later. Uh, On on the show, I kind of talk about some of my influences uh, for getting into the website, for getting into this broadcast. Not a lot of local people I've ever mentioned. Uh, Howard Stern, one of my heroes in broadcasting, uh, but locally there just was kind of there's been a void, and one of the people I looked up to growing up was the gentleman across from me, Bob Page, because he was one of the few straight shooters in this town, and it's going to be probably a five minute introduction. I'll, I promise I will bring Bob in at some point, but I think. <laughs> A little backstory is, is a little necessary here for the younger people who, you know, weren't even born in 1988 when he headed to New York and uh, went to MSG, replaced Howard Cosell um, on sports commentaries over there. And we're going to get into all of that. I was going to say, you know, he can tell you I the know. things he's done. I, I'm as going well. to. I'm going to ask him. I, trust me. I'm way this too is modest. Not, nah. I'm too modest.
2: This is this is going. But are you I
0: sure that? I, but i You're one of Moss's influences. No, I'm enjoying wanna, this. I want people. It's, like to a, know. it's a
2: surprise appearance on This Is Your Life. Yeah, yeah know, exactly. This is, <laughs> this is
0: this is a town that uh, really didn't have a lot of critical thought. The the free press's main columnists at the time were people like Mike Downey and Mitch Album, who were more feature writers than giving any. Acerbic opinions. Um, my generation growing up just kind of did not connect with Joe Falls and Jerry Green, who were the elder statesmen of the uh, journalism world back then. And RIP, Jerry Green. All right, well, he's still alive, he's still hanging in there. But what you brought, I thought, and this fluff session will end in the next 30 seconds, is something that was greatly missing from the scene. Back then, there wasn't much of it. And since 1988, there's been very little of it. And I'm going to start off with a quote that you gave to a, I think, Greg Eno in a podcast in 2009. I'm going to quote you It's my hometown, speaking of Detroit, and always will be. I would have liked to have come back and done something in Detroit, but it's a soft market and everyone is afraid of their shadow. Is that part of the reason you left Detroit to go to New York or. And can you expound on that, on that topic? Because that's been basically a thread of the Detroit sports rag going back 13 years. This is a soft market, and everyone is afraid of their shadow.
2: Thank you for all the nice things you said about me and I, recapping and my me, career the way and, you and did. And trust me,
0: those things coming from me, the people in my audience know that I, I don't say many nice things yeah, about I've many Yeah, I've seen people. some
2: of your stuff. Yeah. I've been on your website. It's not exactly
0: like – this isn't exactly
2: Larry King just uh, welcoming <laughs> anyone soft, into the studio s- and saying
0: yeah. – uh, Uh, You know, oh, we've got uh, Louis Farrakhan here. What a great guy! And so this is heartfelt, and uh, we'll get into some of that later, but. The Detroit market.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when I was on WJR in the mid-70s, they had this loudmouth guy from New Jersey who came to Detroit. He had one eye, and you never knew which eye was the one he could see out of. You know what to look at. Glasses, bald head, with this huge, obnoxious New Jersey accent. As you know, that was Dick Vitale. And so Dick and I actually kind of developed a shtick together, because I loved to talk to him, and he loved to talk to me. So that was the basis of our relationship. And then, you know, a lot of things happened in between that. So... I was talking with Dick on the telephone probably early 1988 uh, from my house in Farmington Hills and his house in South Florida. So we're just, you know, BSed about stuff. And he finally says, uh, he says so what are you going to do about your career? And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. I mean, I'm, I'm from here. My children are here. My girlfriend's from here. Her parents are right here. I'm a Detroit guy. I, I, what do you mean? He says, yeah, what are you going to do about your career? I said, no, you know, I know, I know. What do you think? He says, well, he told me that there was an opening in New York at Madison Square Garden Network for a new sports news show that they were going to put on the air. The first guy they wanted to, to, to do that show was Keith Olbermann, but he was under contract elsewhere. Then the next guy they went after was a guy that you guys don't know. His name was Scott Clark. He was a longtime Washington, uh, D.C. TV sportscaster and then wound up at Channel 7 in New York. They didn't get him either under contract. Now, they turned to me as their third choice after Vital put me on to his agents at IMG, International Management Group in New York City. So they flew me in. They wanted to meet me. And the next thing I knew, I'm interviewing with the legendary Chet Simmons, who was the top consultant, you know, at MSG at the time, put ESPN in the air and be head of NBC Sports, all kind of stuff. And what do you know? They liked me. So they hired me. So that had nothing to do with what was going on in the Detroit market. I mean, my heavens, it's the biggest break of my life. And they only guaranteed the first year of my contract, but there was, and they paid me $110,000 a year, which is more money than I ever dreamed you could ever make anywhere, you know? Right. So I was thrilled, and I just busted my ass, and I just tried to do a great job, and I started getting a lot of publicity for the things that, that I was saying on television. And um, so that's really what's changed my life, and it had nothing to do with the, with the general tenor of the Detroit media market.
0: So you went from uh, co-hosting a show with Ron Cameron, Cameron. I don't know why I keep calling him that. Uh, who, for people who aren't familiar with his work, I would label him so you would have some familiarity: uh, the Caucasian Rob Parker.
2: Uh, that, that, <laughs> I never heard that before. That <laughs> was how. Well, there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> now, I don't talk to Cameron, but I do talk to Rob once in a while. I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling him yeah. the white, uh, the black Ron Cameron. can cat, <laughs> Cameron.
0: Just don't tell him who said it. We're not exactly in the friendliest of terms. But y- you have. A lot of similarities. One, awful sports takes, and two, uh, failed restaurant ventures. And they, they both have that. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to remember, if you want to think of who Ron Cameron is, uh, I just think kind of Rob Parker, but uh, white and overweight. But um, so you had this, and that show to me was where I really, because I was kind of young probably when you were at WJR. I don't remember a lot of the w- the uh, WXYZ, Channel 7 stuff. But mm-hmm. when I started really watching the show with you and Cameron, the Sports You Today show, which in my opinion was the precursor in Detroit to Sports Talk Radio.
2: I can't exactly say that. I think Cameron was one of the founders of Sports Talk Radio in Detroit. There was a guy – this is way before your time – named Norm Plummer. Who was on WWJ Radio, and they were doing some sports talk uh, stuff way back, right? Long. And they did
0: sports rap, yeah. And with with uh, you know Paul Chapman and various people had hosted that show, but we that two, was different. Two yeah. guys arguing yeah. about the topics of the day, kind of like a crossfire yeah. CNN discussion. Yeah, it's
2: just the way it wound up, and and nobody else was doing that. And of course, after that, I went to New York and eventually had to leave the show, and then the show died out. That's why uh, Eli Zaret, who's probably my closest friend in the business for forty years, Eli and Danny McLean got together and they had a lot of success with that show. Then it was Eli and Gibby and Gary Danielson, and they had a bunch of success with their show. So I think we were the precursor of those kinds of programs, maybe in Detroit, if not Radio Talk itself. He was uh, I'd known him for some time, and uh, we were on good terms. We were friendly. And he, he called me up one day at, at my house. I was living in Lather Village at the time. And he's just, you know, Cameron, he doesn't even say hello on the telephone. He just starts, you know, raging, you know, and ranting right on the telephone. And it, he gives me this long spiel about what he wants to do. And then he says, so welcome to the show. And I said, well, Ron, I, <laughs> I think about this a little right. bit. And, but uh, we decided to put it together. And uh, what we did is we, we, we struck a deal with an advertising agency in Detroit. These guys were going to take our show. And they were going to sell it to all the big ad agencies, Stroh's Beer at the time and Ford and everything. And Cameron was screaming at him that, that that's not the way you sell a show like this. And you guys selling the, your show yourself, you understand that. That's just not how it works. Right. So we thought we got to have a dynamite show. You know, we've got to do something really unusual to show people the first thing we did. So, it, so you know, it, the advertisers know what they're buying. So I said, yeah, I got an idea. I called up Mike Illich. And I said, Mike, you know, you don't do interviews, everything like that. We've known each other how long? I said, I want you to come on down and do this show with Cameron and me. It's a pilot for this show. He said, you know what, Bob? I'll do this for you, but on one condition, that it never airs anywhere. I said, okay, because it's just a pilot show. It's not going to air. So Mike drove over to our studios. In the days before, I'm sure he had three chauffeurs and nine limousines to drive to right. anywhere. Well, this but, is
0: still probably at that point, few, a, few, a couple years into his
2: ownership yeah, exactly. of the Red Wings. Exactly. Yeah. So Mike came over, did the show, and, and so we were off and running, right? And we're doing this show. It was just natural because we disagreed on everything anyway. And the way we looked. I was a television guy. I always wore coats and ties, suits and ties, clean cut, the whole thing. And Cameron wore his food splotched band lawn shirts with his pot belly sticking out over his belt, you know? <laughs> kind of like how I'm dressed. So, yeah, it was yeah. so it, it was an interesting thing. And then, and then, so we're on the air, and we got this show going on, and after two months, the advertising people, we got this big meeting, right? The, guy, the guy's name was Michael Tucker. Very nice guy, but just didn't know what to do with this. So Cameron uh, is with, in there with me, two or three other executives, this guy. His fellows, you know what? You've got a great show. I love the show, but we're going to have to end it. Cameron says, what are you talking about? And the guy says, yeah, it's just, we just can't sell it. We just can't sell it. And Cameron's screaming at the guy, because you don't know how to sell it. I can't imagine all the obscenities they're going on. Oh, along, I can imagine. Going, and going and spitting. Right. So anyway, this guy says he says, you know what, I can sell sand to an Arab for goodness sake, but nobody can sell this TV show. I can't do it. So Cameron gets this maniacal look in his eyes. He opens up this tattered piece of doo-doo that passes for a wallet. Had to be 25 years old. It tatters everywhere. And to the shock of all of us, he starts taking out crisp 100 after crisp 100. The stat, it's just $100 bills, brand new, just on top of each other. And then we're looking like this. Oh, my God. Then he says, see this? He reaches in again. He grabs up about 10 or 12 rumpled pieces of colored paper. He throws them with us. You know what those are? Those are checks, and I'm too busy to cash them. I don't even care. So at that point, at that point, we took over the television show. So we owned that and you show. Sold, and you sold the advertising. Cameron taught me how to sell. Right. He well, taught me how to sell. So what I'm hearing yeah. is,
1: is that you were hungry, hungry to do something different. I was 32 years old. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're hungry to take your career to a next level.
2: I always was driven.
1: And and now I hear your comments, though, like Jeff said earlier, that this is now a soft market. Yeah. I wonder how a market gets soft like it is now where you have 97.1, which is completely complacent, and 105.1, which somehow was also completely complacent, even though they had no reason to be. I wonder how do you see this market getting from where you came from and the guys that you looked up to. Al Ackerman uh, is a guy that Jeff that's a wrote, great, a, that's wrote a great, a great article a, on. it. Yeah. how do we get from that to this? Right.
2: That's a great question, Jasper. And I'll tell you one thing, one way we got to that. When we were – Coming up in the business, Joe Falls, who I I know, again, he was not your thing, Jeff, but Joe Falls, one of the greatest sports writers I've ever seen. He was just an amazing talent. He had a lot of personal problems, had a lot of stuff going on. He was an amazing sports writer. So Falls was writing for the Free Press, and Jerry Green was the hard-hitting columnist for the Detroit News. So it was really great. Then what happened is the Detroit News said, you know what? We're going to hire Joe Falls too. So now they got Joe and Jerry both writing for the Detroit News, and the Free What are we going to do? What, what you know? What, what we can't fight fire with fire. We can't find anybody like these guys. And some brilliant person, I have no idea, said, you know what? Most people, especially women, have really no interest in sports. They don't even know who Joe Falls is or Jerry Green is. They don't read that stuff. Why don't we get a sports columnist who essentially writes for women? He writes for women who really don't know that much about sports or follow it, and he writes for people who aren't into sports. So they looked at, who can we get? And they hired Mike Downey. So Downey came in, and he had two or three years in Detroit, and he had quite a readership because, again, among women and people who were not that into sports. Then he left to go. I think he went to the Chicago Tribune or, or L.A., one of the two. Liquid yeah. And then they said, oh, my God, now we lost Downey. What are we going to do? We've got to find another guy who's not really a sports writer. He writes for women and so on and so forth. They brought in Mitch Album. So I think that was the beginning of it. When you look at the top columnist of the Detroit Free Press, and he's really got nothing to say. he got nothing to say. They thought, I guess, in tandem that, that the Free Press and some of the other outlets in town, a couple outlets, whatever, they thought maybe this was the way to go, that the guys who were outspoken were turning off too many people and they wanted to go soft.
0: Well, this has always been a very provincial town. I would think that you would have, uh, yeah, yeah. Seen say, that. You know,
2: I'm so I'm working in the groove right. shop. You're saying you like Guns and Roses. I'm right. a musician myself, and <laughs> right. I was in the late '60s. I played a lot of places in Detroit and still play. So I'm working at Chicken Delight over on Mac and Gross and I'm 16, 17 years old, and so one of my buddies rushes in. There was you know the groove shop. You ever heard of that over yeah. there on Mac? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My buddies rushes and he says, Bob, you're not going to believe who's next door at the groove shop. I said. Yeah, who man? Tell me who he says, Spencer Davis. I looked at him and said, "You're lying." I ripped off my apron. I run my neck. God damn! If it wasn't Spencer Davis standing there, so I walked up to him. I said, "Spencer, I just—it's so just nice to me." You know, he was very friendly. You know, I, I said, "So, um, so what do you think of uh, what do you think of Detroit?" He says, "Well, um, you know, I think it's a bit provincial." <laughs> So, yeah. I go back to the so I've now I've met Spencer Davis, man, one of my idols. He went to the group stop, and somebody's asked me, so what did Spencer say about Detroit? I said, oh, man, he said, like, Detroit's really provincial. <laughs> so the guy said, you jerk. <laughs> that means he thinks Detroit's a hick town. And he's pretty much right. I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> he's pretty much right. Uh, you know, it, it, what I found, and why I thought there was a, um, a gap where the DSR kind of filled, was there just wasn't any critical thought. There wasn't any P- P- Detroit sports fans don't
2: want to hear negative things about their teams. And your show, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, uh, somehow the broadcasting executives and newspaper executives think that. I don't right. think I agree with that. Well,
0: there's a percentage There's a there's a large percentage of Detroit right. sports fans that I find who, if I criticize some, I mean the Lions still sell out Ford Field every week. Uh, they were selling out the Silverdome without 80,000 um, right. seats for a long time. This is a franchise that's won one playoff game in my lifetime, and I'm not young anymore. So I think there's, there's a, there, there is a, a large portion of the fan base who just doesn't want to hear any negative. They just want to hear the sunshine and rainbows, and that's what the Mitch albums, the Mike Downies, uh, the Scott Andersons who's on radio, th- that's what they give them. But your show, and this is why I was so attracted to it, was even though I didn't agree with a lot of the things that Cameron was saying, and I, am sure there were things and, I said right, that and you, I tended to to agree, agree with a lot with, of yeah. what you were saying. Right. But you were going on the show and saying things about William Clay Ford Sr. as being incompetent, having his drinking buddy um, Russ Thomas, Russ Thomas run the team because Russ Thomas was a GM until you left. I mean, 1988 when you left to go to MSG, in I'll new never York,
2: forget standing in my office in New York and looking at the old fashioned, you know, clackety clackety wire thing, just see what was new. And comes over. Russ Thomas has died. I'll never forget that. Right. You but know. you were. But you were. And you talk to kids this age. You talk to kids this age, and, and and other kids who are wearing their silly lions caps, their silly lions jerseys. They've never heard the name Jasper. Ever heard of Russ Thomas? Well, only
1: only, only because I know oh, okay. Jeff, though. Yeah. But that, right. but
2: that's they that, don't even know who he was. But I right. think
1: I think that's important to what Jeff is saying, right. where right. the DSR does have an important role to play in this market nowadays, because. Nowadays, nowadays, now, nowadays. I think nowadays, nowadays. I wasn't. You're right with the 145 time. IQ. Don't ask me. Oh, thank you for getting it right. I, this I refuse time. to even
0: have mine tested. My my point,
1: my point is, I think you fill a role that is
0: unfilled by anyone. In but this, that's market. what I was saying. That show, but your yeah. show was something. I mean, I was probably 15, 14 at the time watching this, turning this on. And I'm reading, like you said, Mike Downey and his, and, and right. Mitch Album with his fluff articles about driving Jacques yeah. Demers yeah. to the uh, Joe Louis well, well, Arena. Know, you know was, I'm watching though. this. I'm like, what the fuck is this?
2: You know what? You know, oh, I didn't know we could use we like that. We okay. can Okay. Swear. okay. Right. But anyway, you know, you know, you know, I took that being a native Detroiter as opposed to Mitch Album, as opposed to Mike Downey, as opposed to a lot of these guys. Being a native Detroiter. I took that real personally. They stole my boyhood football team. They stole it. I'm a little too young to remember the great Lions World Championship teams of the 1950s. Now I tell young people how great the Lions were in the 1950s. They had no clue. Just no clue. But they stole it. Whenever I meet anybody over the age of arbitrarily 50 or 55, I always within their Lions regalia, I always tell them, shame on you. Shame on you. It's just we're still rooting for that team. William Clay Ford stole our football team and ran it into the ground. And while he was running into the ground, he thumbed his noses at the entire populace of the lower peninsula of Michigan. UP, of course, they're a lot smarter. They're Packers fans. right? But, you know, he, he just... Uh, what he did in keeping uh, Russ Thomas, one of the most evil Machiavellian figures I've ever been around in sports, keeping Russ Thomas employed all those years, blown draft choices. After, this, In other words, what I'm saying is this. This guy was Matt Millen before Matt Millen, except for one thing. Matt Millen not only is a very nice person, but Matt Millen has a, had a great career. You know, Matt Millen was a star in the NFL, and he's a terrific guy. Russ Thomas was a prick. He was a jerk. He was an all-American tackle at, of all places, Ohio State. And he winds up running the Detroit Lions into the ground. Then, of course, they settle on Millen. So William Clay Ford... Is is the result of all of this stuff? He's the guy who hired everybody, right? You See, know,
1: I, I, I find your anger interesting
2: because you clearly are so. They stole still my upset. football team. The sun rose and set on the Detroit Lions. I find for me. it
1: interesting because I don't feel that way at all. I don't feel anything about the Detroit well, Lions that's, that, anymore. That's a commentary, right I, there.
2: Really, really. Well, after the game, well, after the game, after
1: the game against Dallas, after the playoff game, I just gave up because it was at that point I realized. It doesn't matter who dies. It doesn't matter who is – It
2: matters whether they sell the it, team. It, it, right. it's That's the what matters. It's the stink
1: associated yeah. with this franchise under the leadership they've been under. It's never going to change. It's if, never it going to change. Sell
0: it. And I going to I don't know if they're ever yeah. going to. And I want to ask a specific question about this topic because when um, Al Ackerman passed away, you wrote an email, a pretty long email, which I ended up posting on the DSR. Uh, that you sent out to people who knew Al, people in the media in Detroit – and one of the things that you t- you touched on uh, which was kind of just a a side note really which wasn't really to do with ale was you mentioned something about how the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame
2: is a total sham it's, it's and, we, and we really have to discuss those no, clones but it's and, just, and,
0: and, and be- the only reason I'm even bringing this up at this point is because before I, before I forget is because they inducted William Clay Ford senior into the Michigan Sports wow. Hall of Fame. And it's been one of my railing cries for since they did it on the yeah. site. Like, how can you induct a man who <laughs> destroyed the franchise? I mean everything because you just he was said is nice stole the nice guy team. and he was
2: rich and powerful. That's what they do with the bogus Michigan Sports Hall of Fame. You're a nice guy Yeah, let's give the guy a break, put him in. And I've been railing about this also, not just the fact that Al, the most powerful and famous sportscaster this town's ever seen, is not in. And they put other guys in first, like Ray Lane and so on and so on, who's a great guy, but you know what I'm saying, they didn't have Al's career. Then I said to them, if you want to start inducting members of my generation next, you start with Eli Zaret. I mean, you look at everything Eli did in this market, the trailblazer in many respects that he was, and who's going in? Beckman? Are you serious, Frank Beckman, George Blaha? Guys from my generation, they got to start with Eli. But you know these people—they're just on cloud nine. Well, it's you know.
1: I mean, I love Blaha, but uh, I love that whole Pistons announcing crew. But I remember the Pistons, and even though Eli Zaret was never more than the sideline reporter for, you, for me, for your generation, for my generation, yeah. I still remember Eli Zarrett. I right. remember his name. The man, He was an established right. presence. He was right. – I think that's something that a sportscaster has to have is that presence. I don't see Eli, that Eli with a lot Zaret, of young guys when now. When he was hosting
0: but, the Tigers um, – 84. The, the pregame show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they would have – Everybody right, watched and, that it show. was It was appointment – Television. They'd have some of the beat writers on. Then they'd go to Alan George wherever they were, whatever they were broadcasting from. And every, I mean, everybody watched the game, and everyone watched the pregame show. Now you compare that to today on Fox Sports Detroit. You know, people are tuning in at seven oh seven when the game starts. They don't want to see what Mickey. York I'm not has tuning. To I'm
2: not tuning in at seven oh seven. I'm starting my tape at seven oh right. seven. So you can just fast. Forward. So I fast forward through everything, commercials, all the nonsense. All right. yeah.
0: I, I, so you go. So you're in Detroit for years, and let's talk about Al for a second because um, that's how we kind of uh, reconnected and started talking. Uh, the modern landscape of television sports news. The eleven o'clock guy comes on at eleven seventeen, talks about three, you know for three minutes, uh, giving the highlights of the wings game or the Pistons or whatever. You're lucky if you get three well, minutes right. in most. And, and this is something that you too. used to do with Al. And used
1: to
2: well, we it. had more time, right. Because you have to remember that back then there was no ESPN to speak, everything like that, where you could tune in every night, as you could tune into me in New York City for ten years, every night. I got a half hour show starting at 11 o'clock at night, everything going on in New York, all the highlights of all the games, all the interviews I did or we were doing with people, my commentaries and stuff. Television news, probably smartly, realized a number of years ago, we can't compete with that, and our audience doesn't care about sports anyway. Slash it. You want sports? We don't care. Go watch ESPN or whatever you want to watch. We're going with three minutes. And when when you do go with three minutes, you also tell your sports producers and your sports on-air talent, you tell them, we have women watching this show of old people and people who don't care about sports. You're going out and you're doing high school sports features, you're doing sports on uh, features on girls and women's sports, stuff like that 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 audience will continue to watch.
1: So then the question for me becomes where do you see there being an audience? I no, that's not the right word. Not do you see there being a future of controversial of adversarial of well-informed and highbrow sports analysis in this market? Because well, you've said it well, already. Well, first it's the provincial and the people in charge feel yeah. as though they need to appeal to women and people who don't care well, about first sports. of all,
2: I ask uh, certain friends of mine, I've asked certain friends of mine because uh, I found your website somehow by accident just surfing the net uh, some time ago. So I said, you know this uh, this young guy, uh, Jeff Moss, Uh-oh. this Detroit sports Uh-oh. rag? I said, what's going on I'm not that, that? young. <laughs> but But you see what I'm saying? Because the reason I looked at it I said, "Wow, this guy really tells it like it is. He may go off half cock sometime, but very few people are doing this, so there's so many media outlets now and so many forms of media that there always always will be room for people who are controversial always but, 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 but just not on local television news. but
0: what people know. don't understand is back when Al was doing it he'd give there would be commentaries I mean criticizing." Right, Russ Thomas not signing whoever the, the, the first round draft was for the Lions. Yeah. It, now we've got on Channel Seven, your former station, but it
2: doesn't we, matter. You're talking television news now.
0: Right, we got a guy who Brad Galley, who's about twenty. I've,
2: I've never even heard the name.
0: Okay. Well, then fine. Then a, how about, this, then guy's, how about radio? I, this guy's idea of culture is Taylor Swift, um, Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and uh, the Harry Potter books. This is
2: a, he's a child. This is, he's a sportscaster. He's
0: the number one guy. He's the replacement for Don Shane.
2: I see. Uh, now, here's my thing. That just gets what I was telling you guys. Right. They want women and people who aren't interested in sports to continue to watch the sports. Right. So if, they, if that group sees this stuff, oh, that's cool. I really like that. But, but even
1: moving away from television,
2: radio. Do you really see that? Well, I listen to uh, when I'm in town. I listen occasionally, although the show is obviously at a level of maturity that's kind of beneath that of an old man like me. But when I'm in town, I do listen to uh, uh, Valenti on uh, WXYT. He really tells it like it is right. uh, for the most part. So it's not as though there isn't anybody on radio, he's the only, in this and that's town. the crazy thing. Yeah. He's the
0: one person who really does tell it like it is. Yeah. Um, I have my own issues with him because I think he he plagiarizes some of my work, but he's the one person who goes out there and will leave it on the table and the rest of the city, they look at it like some anomaly yeah. because everybody else just fluffs the teams. They, they, they see he's the most – he's literally the most successful media member in Detroit in 2016. But nobody wants to even try to imitate that approach. It's just every, everyone else at that station – You know, they're they're broadcast partners with the Tigers. They've been for the Lions for years. They just lost it to WJR.
2: That's That's why WJR fired me in 1976, which made big headlines in the Detroit papers way back when, 40 years ago, because I was going on WJR as a young punk in my 20s telling the truth about what was going on with the Detroit Lions and William Clay Ford. And not only was WJR in bed with the Lions, but all the other Detroit Pro sports teams to make money, but the sports director was the late Bob Reynolds. Reynolds was the Lions' broadcaster, and it was just such an unholy alliance among all these uh, people and entities that it was. It was. I mean, they fired me. I probably would have fired I me mean, too. Just you
1: know? ask, just ask Mark Champion. You know what? what criticizing the Lions gets you. I, I don't. I
2: I know Mark. What happened to him?
0: <laughs> he got they, replaced by Dan Miller because he was yeah. critical of the team, and I'm not a big fan of Mark Champion. But yeah. they just did. Well, you got Daniel. Dan, Dan, you know, does
2: Jim Brandstadter still do the Lions games? Yes, he does. Enough, but this enough is a, said. But this is an interesting trip. Yeah.
1: He also does uh, yeah. Michigan games, though, Well, is, you so know, I've, know it's it's an an
2: I've known Brandy for more than 40 years. You can't dislike the man. No. He's, he's a really no, good like the- guy uh, and everything. But it, let's just put it this way uh, When I left New York, somebody was talking with Burley Smilovitz, who was there with me for about four years in New York before they groomed him out of uh, WCBS. And smile of it said to somebody, he says, well, you know, you can say what you want about me, you say what you want about Paige, but we just do our thing at totally opposite ends of the spectrum. So that's like Brandy. I mean, right. he just does his thing at a totally opposite end of the spectrum. Well,
0: that's a perfect segue. <laughs> so you, now you go, you're, you're in Detroit for years, and then you get this great opportunity at MSG. And obviously MSG is a, a network that's tied in with New York sports teams. Was there a lot of pressure or was there any pressure? Or any thing from above saying, you know, you can't be, you can't go on and say anything bad about this. Yes, it's the Rangers.
2: You know, you guys asked me some really good questions, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm hope I'm responding, responding to you with uh, really good stories. We paid in 1989. $500 million to the New York Yankees and what was the biggest deal in the history of American cable television at that time. There was a fear that MSG was going to go under without summertime programming because we already had the Nixon Rangers, of course. So they, got, they bought the Yankees' rights. And the guy who ran MSG, who really spearheaded the whole thing, was a guy named Bob Gatkowski. I didn't really like him too much. He didn't really like me too much. But you know what? We realized that we, we were, each was important to the other. Gut protected me. Bob Gatkowski protected me. I can't tell how many times I heard behind my back, you know, Steinbrenner called Gutkowski, said, how can you let Page go on the air and say this stuff? Gatkowski says, George, we paid you $500 million for the Yankees rights. You run the Yankees. I run this network. So you have to have a rabbi. You have to have a rabbi. And, and Howard Cosell's rabbi all those years at uh, ABC, Leonard Goldenson They would get these anti-Semitic letters from all over. Matt, how can you have that Jew on the air, that that cheap toupee? Get that yid off the air, anything like that. And Leonard Goldenson said the magic words in the entertainment industry, whatever branch, the kid stays in the picture.
1: So then do you think that there's – oh, thanks, Jessica. Do you think that there's a a lack of elder statesmen who are willing to – stand up and not take any crap from Well, owners, most of the or? elder statesmen
2: uh, survived all the years they did uh, because you know, they didn't rock any boats. I mean, especially the play-by-play guys. Chris Schenkel, you may not even know this name, Chris Schenkel, but one of the greatest, most legendary play-by-play guys in the history of American sports casting, Schenkel's nickname all the years he was doing games at ABC was Chris Platitude. Chris Schenkel once said, he once said, that while doing play-by-play on ABC of a college football game, he would never reveal the name on the air of a player who fumbled because it would be too embarrassing to his family. So he'd just say, there's a fumble, not <laughs> Roger's fumbles. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is the kind of stuff that you were going We had another guy from Detroit, and again, you guys, your generation, you guys are so young, you don't read up on this stuff. We had another guy, I'm sure you remember, uh, Jeff, named Bill Fleming. Yeah. Uh Bill was one again, one of the legendary sportscasters and and just a such a wonderful guy. And Fleming was the same way. He you know, he, he made his living and stayed in the picture for so many years. He not rock any boats.
1: Well, but, I I I mean I'm, I get that because I yeah. just said earlier, George Blaha, a guy who I love, but every single time Andre Drummond makes one of his three point five out of every ten free throws yeah. It's a it's a good looking free no, I throw know. from from you know Andre what? Drummond. It's like yeah. come on, George.
2: You know uh, who are you kidding? <laughs> my first job in the business was at WJIM TV and Radio in Lansing in 1974, and I got there and George was already the radio news director while I was in sports. He was a couple years, couple couple two three years older than I was. And he had a little experience in the business, and uh, we got along great. One day, a Lansing kindergarten teacher sent this picture in. Some little kid had made a picture, you know, with the usual scrawl and crayons all over the place. And the teacher goes, goes over and says, Susie, I really like that. Do you have a name for this picture? She says, yes, that's a George Blob. <laughs> now, I get a, I get mud. The guy who was running JR at the time in 75 or 76 came into it Might have been Beckman, as a matter of fact, because we were there together. Uh, came into me and said, you know, i got to ask you a question. I said, what's that? Said, you know, we're thinking about hiring George Blaha as the Pistons play by play announcer. What do you think about that? And I said, well, George has a great voice and a great delivery. And it's not as though he's just a newsman. He's been doing play by play of high school sports for years in the Lansing area. He said, yeah, we're going to change his name to George Blake. I said, no, <laughs> I don't, you know, I think that, I mean, Blaha is so unusual. He does have a face for radio, as we know, and he was going to be hired for radio. He's got a toupee so, for radio, too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, so they, they went ahead, and, and uh, I was at least consulted on George Blaha joining the Pistons, you know, 100 years ago.
0: So, so when so when you're doing the Sports View Today show, um, and you go on the show and you attack the Lions management or Jim Campbell or whoever it was at the time, was there? Ever, did you ever get any feedback from any Detroit sports teams like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you, oh why are you saying this? Are you, seri-
2: are you serious? I can't believe you asked me that question. <laughs> what the, the Lions, because uh, horror and perished the thought, uh, women reporters uh, you know, were demanding access to the locker room, the same access that we had. And so finally the Lions you know, took the chicken's way out, naturally the Lions, right? So they said, we're not going to let women in the locker room. But from now on, we're not going to let anybody in the locker room. So we're going to have a little anteroom outside here. We're going to have it all set up for you guys, like they do now, like they do now, pretty much right. everywhere you go. And 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 then we're going to bring anybody you want out to talk to. This is the way we're going to handle it. So Billy Ford and Russ Thomas would always be standing at the door. Mister Ford, Bill Ford was—he's was a very nice man. He was a very nice. Hi, Bob. How are you? Nice to see you. There. Hello, Mister Ford, and like that. I'm walking out of the room one day. Russ Thomas is standing there, his arms folded like this. He looks at me. He says, I see that cheap shot bullshit stuff you're doing on that TV with me. I want you to know that I'm not. I said, Russ, I will cancel my next taping. You have an open invitation to come on my TV show – Anytime you want to, we'll discuss your record with the Detroit Lions. I mean, a lot of those guys, uh, the Lions players, a lot of them hated me and hated us because these guys were from Southern California and Florida. and They knew nothing of the history of the Lions. All they knew was they got drafted in Detroit. They'd never even been there before. They come in and here's this guy on television and radio saying awful things about their football team. They didn't appreciate it. Oh, well.
0: And we're going back 28 years. I mean, so 28 Uh, years ago, you leave town. Oh, but since it, I've left town. Me, you right left now, town, right. and it got worse. I mean, there was the Barry Sanders era where they went to the playoffs five times mm-hmm. out of ten years where he was here. They win one playoff. They've won one playoff game since you left. Tell me about it. And, and so I want to get back to this MSG thing for a second because – so Fox Sports Detroit is in bed with the Detroit Tigers and with the Red Wings. And what we see from – on a nightly basis from these two broadcast these partners – in this uh, equation is that guys go on the air and it's nothing as critical as set of team at all. They send one reporter, whether it be Mickey York or Trevor Thompson or whoever is an employee of FSD in to ask Brad Osmus or Jeff Blasio questions. They get the first exclusive before the, the print guys even get in there. And the, you know, Brad Osmus can make the most awful decision like you take Miggy out of a game and it comes up the him in the ass. And these questions are just never asked by these guys. So and, and it, to go further, Ryan Field, who's now at FS One, who used to work at Fox Sports Detroit, when I question him about this Oh I know, I know who that kid yeah, is. Yeah. He's
2: a typical guy right. we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Kind
0: of looks a little like Jasper.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, good looking guy, young. Yeah, but, but, uh, but I but I mean he's got nothing to say. He's afraid right. of his own shit. But show. so I question yeah. him, I'm like,
0: how and now he's on his way out the door. He's 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 already accepts a job at Fox Sports One. He's going right. national. Mm-hmm. He's leaving Fox Sports Detroit, which he's been there for Years and years, and I say, you know, how can you justify what you do as a quote-unquote journalist? And his response to me he was, "It
2: was that's the first time it was ever called me right, a journalist." Right. That's, that's right, what right. his response. It, was, I put so it, was. it in quotes. Yeah. And his response to me was,
0: <laughs> "Broadcast partners, baby." He put that on Twitter and then he deleted it. <laughs> and after he figured out that he probably shouldn't have said that to me, how did you? So I mean, you're I, I'm in still bed with baffled the by <laughs> the fact that that you know a powerful figure. There's no more powerful figure as an owner probably in the history of professional sports than george steinbrenner you're giving commentaries you're giving your opinion i still it's hard to fathom how we got from that point in the it's early 90s to it's now new,
2: it's new york which is a much more obviously sophisticated market people are used to that kind of criticism though a lot of the new york critics they'd write about me all the time in the new york post or daily news and they say you know uh You know, we don't have anybody really like you in this market. You have to have, again, a rabbi who says the kid stays in the picture. One of the most flattering things that was ever, ever written about me in my life was by Joel Sherman, the longtime baseball columnist of the New York Post. When uh, the Yankees went out and signed Kenny Rogers, I guess it was, years ago, He wrote in his column, this guy is not going to be ready for New York. He's coming to a market with four daily newspapers with, you know, six sports talk radio stations and Bob Page. And I really I was so flattered that he would, you know, that he would single me out for for something like that. But again, I had Bob Gakowski, you know. Defending me, And then when I went to uh, ABC Radio and I took Cosell's place on ABC Radio in 1990 or whatever year that was, 91, obviously they had the best and they wanted to follow through at least with something much like that kind of commentary. So they figured, well, let's get Paige. So I worked there well, for 10 years. So too. you
0: replaced Cosell. Now you kind of right. hinted in that email about Ackerman that there was some interesting uh,
2: interplay between you and Cosell. Do you have any great Cosell stories or – Cosell, uh, the guy who hired me at ABC was Shelby Whitfield. He's dead now, dead a few years ago. Big fat guy with a huge drinking problem, but he had a big, uh, big brain for business ideas, which is why ABC kept him. So it was Shelby Whitfield's unfortunate duty to kind of begin to usher Howard out of the studio because Howard was just it, it, the whole thing was a sham at that point in time, and he didn't want to do it, but they didn't want to just fire him. So uh, anyway, Shelby, it was Shelby. They gave me one of his shows to start with, right? Said, well, Howard, you know, we still want you to stay, but we're going to let Bob Page do the morning commentary and you do the afternoon commentary. He says to Shelby Whitfield, I saw your man Page on television again last night. He has no talent. Why is he with our company? And Shelby Whitfield says, Well, Howard, you can say anything you want to about Bob Page, but you can't say he has no talent. He has no talent. But Howard, Bob says that you're one of the biggest influences in his, in his career. <laughs> oh, yeah? What career is that? <laughs> <laughs> he was just uh, Howard was Howard was angry at the world. He was a miserable. I, I used to do. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but I used to do uh, some social work uh, for a Jewish agency in New York City. You know, I just trying to help out the community. I go visit right. senior citizens. So I had this one guy. I'd go visit once a week. Great guy, and he had grown up in Brooklyn. In the Eastern Parkway area of Brooklyn, and grew up in the neighborhood where Cosell grew up, and they they knew each other. And I can still see him sitting there. We're talking about this, and he says, "Bob, don't tell me that Howard Cosell is a bit of old man. Howard Cosell was a bit of young man. We hated him." Right.
0: Well, I remember those. I remember the late '80s when he was doing those commentaries, and you know, everyone your your family tells you what a legend the guy is, and I thought he was off his rocker at that point. Like some of those commentaries. And, and when I very entertaining though. Right. But they were always entertaining, but I was like <laughs> yeah. and it kind of reminds me of the the uh, Joe Falls. My relationship with Falls was like one day he would go in there and he would be, you know, aggressively attacking whoever the GM of the the Tigers, or the Lions or whatever it was, he'd be the one person asking tough questions. And he'd be, like, "Oh my god, this guy's great. There's nobody else in town like him." And the next day he'd write a column about how the NHL shouldn't have line shifts. Like there shouldn't be sh- a shift on the cha- you know, on the on the fly. And I'm like well, I don't remember that. Yeah, what he wrote I a, a, I remember. Right? I'll never forget he wrote an article that uh. the guy should play for at least two and a half minutes. Oh, that, there, that there shouldn't be no – that there be, they should have to play out there is until there a, the whistle. I would, I would watch that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, I'll t- but I'll tell you this, though. When, you, when I was younger and uh, going to sports events or in the industry and beginning to cover sports events, if Joe Falls was there, it was a big deal. And you couldn't wait to read his column the next morning. And when you got to the end of his column, it went away so fast. Whoa, is that all and you go back and you read his column again. So now I'm a kid in the Michigan State Sports Information Office. This was 73, maybe, something like that. And there's a basketball game at Jenison Fieldhouse, and I'm working it and everything. It's an empty seat. Joe Falls is sitting there. I go over and introduce myself to the great Joe Falls. And, of course, a very nice man, very nice man. He proceeded to... I never met him. I'm a kid. Open up his life to me about his problems with ex-wives and money and his Shingles. children who didn't understand him and everything like that. You know, I'm sitting there, really? really? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know what to say to him. But Joe was brilliant. Jerry, uh, Jerry Green is an Ivy League graduate. He's from the North Shore of Long Island, and he went to Brown. And he's a brilliant erudite man. But he just never was able to pour his heart out and write the way Joe did.
1: Well, no. I want to bring it back to something that you – we were just mentioning earlier about uh, how – like Ryan Field said, broadcast partners baby. I think that's something that's – and it goes alongside with the lack of criticism in this town and really I see it happening more across the nation as a whole. Do you think that the rise of cable television and the internet in the sense of – Teams and leagues being able to have their own networks in order to have their own websites. Of course. NBA.com, that's right. where I go for my stats. I don't they and now they have David Aldridge, one of the biggest names in the industry. You look at the NFL network. Well,
2: what does that mean? And David and, Aldridge was a reporter in Washington, DC. And now he's taking a paycheck from the NBA?
1: Exactly. What does that mean? Well, and then I also see stuff like – you see the NFL network growing and expanding every single year. And then you look at the local beat reporters and they're barred from writing about OTAs. Mm.
2: I, I, do you get worried okay. about where this is going to no. go? No, because I said because there's so many media choices now. Now, let's look at this uh, from uh, a different viewpoint in, in in microcosm, if you will. Just the three of us, three of us guys sitting here. OK, now here's the deal. I own a pro sports team, okay? You are one of my top advertisers, and you are a tough, hard-hitting reporter. And you're going on the air, and you're saying terrible things about my team. And the advertiser's going, what, you know, what, what's going on with this? You've got to stop that guy somehow. You know, because if 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 the people turn against the team, we're pulling our advertising out of here. You got to stop that guy from saying this stuff. This has been going on a long time, and most people in our industry are willing to do that. Again, now in macrocosm, if you look at people in society in general and people in the world, they don't like opinions too much. They, you know, they just opinions to them are a little off-putting. I would. I remember when I was younger. You know, we go to the Detroit sports broadcasters luncheons every week. And I'd see Ray Lane there, you know, and, and so, you know, hey, Ray, hey, Bobby, what's going on? You know, and, say, and he'd start opening. He says, man, the Tigers suck right now. Let me tell you something, man. If I were the Tigers, you know what I would do? I'd fire so-and-so, and so and i said, and I'm sitting, and Ray Lane's telling me this, but then at night when he went on the air, you didn't get that. No. The same with, pa- to a lesser degree, with Paul Carey, with whom I had adjoining desks at WJR for a while. Paul had some opinions. Oh, you'd never hear him on the air. And, um, and there, there have been a lot of other people like that. You never heard anything, and heaven knows he's a saint and you can't criticize him, so I won't criticize him. But you never heard anything like that from Ernie Harwell until the end of his career. Why? Because when both fired Ernie Harwell as the Tigers broadcaster, Ernie got religion. Of course, he already had religion, the born-again Christian right. that he was. But Ernie got religion real quickly. He realized, you know what? Can happen to me. I, I was living. A, I was living a lie all these years. They get rid of me whenever they wanted to. They fired me. Can you believe this? And then when they hired him back, Ernie'd go to banquets and people to ask him questions. know, oh, what do you think about so and so? Well, he's just not a good ball player, and we can do we can do a little better. I think at third base next year. You well, know? And, yeah. and
1: you said there's always going to be advertisers and teams that want people to shut up. In this market, we just saw it hell, last year with Mike Valenti, where the Lions came to 97. One. Oh, I, I read about that. You need yeah. to shut him up. Yeah. I worry, though, what happens when Mike Valenti is if not got, here.
2: It, 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 we have a guy named Mike Francesco in New York who's a total horse's ass. Oh, I, I've, I've known, I, love, known, I love the fat man. He's well, great. Well, see, that's, that's the thing. Uh, He's an I, idiot. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've known Mike for whatever it's been, almost 30 years now, and we get along fine. But a lot of people think he's a pompous horse's ass. And Phil Mushnick in the New York Post just destroys him every he well, listens. Well, Mushnick's a pompous take, ass himself. Yeah, but. Well, that's true, too. He, he takes every prediction that the guy makes on the radio, you know. And, of course, he's always wrong and Mushnick makes fun of him. But my point is Sounds familiar. that there's, there's only one thing that matters with Mike Francesa. He gets big numbers Radies. in their demographic. Right. In their demographic. Most people don't even know who he is in New York City. It's such a big market. But he gets huge numbers they can sell. I'm sure Valenti gets big numbers they can yeah. sell. Well, and that's radio. why
1: 97.1 backed him up, yeah. I would
2: assume. He's not on WXYT anymore? Yeah, it's FM. WGF, okay. FM yeah. Yeah. So so what's the difference? Oh, by the in- way, it got back to me once. I've never really met him other than the wave. that he grew, he grew up watching me on TV in New York. He was a big fan. Oh. I believe TV. that. He, he, he was from upstate New York. New York. Yeah, yeah, which was a Fine, because I, you know, that's that's one thing about your life. You know, suddenly you get young people coming up to, you. oh, well, I was a kid, I was like you, I was right, well, I was a big fan, and like that. Well, I'm you old now, you, you want to feel really old? I, Mike Valenti is the guy who got influenced me. you, yeah, right. You
0: influenced sure. me
1: to get into yeah. what I'm into now. So yeah. go figure. So, so
0: what's the difference between New York, the market in in New York and Detroit? Fan why I've always said that the DSR, if it was in New York. Would be a lot more well received uh, because they're more familiar with
2: criticism. Well, uh, okay, well,
0: in this town, it's just not. People right. just it, it, it's. I'm off
2: on an island. That's true, but you also can just fall into this. I, I remember, uh, you know, in, fall into this whole bag where you know you're all lumped together as opinionated people, and so it doesn't really matter. I. Um, was in the press room before a Yankee game well, this is about 89 and uh, a name I'm sure that you and your listeners don't know but his name is Harvey Ayrton he's a long time New York sports writer he's with the Post now he's with the New York Times has been for years so Ayrton had just written his column in the New York Post that morning he did everything but call George Steinbrenner a child molester it was one of the most brutal pieces of writing I've ever seen so I said well this is going to be interesting in the press room tonight you know so I show up in the Yankees press room before the game, sit down with a bunch of guys, and nobody's talking about the column. Nobody's saying anything. So I say, anybody read Arithan's column today? He says, yeah, yeah well, I saw that. I said, so Steinbrenner or any of the Yankees people doing anything about that? And I like, no, nobody cares, you know. Well, so me, it's different. Let me put it in context in Detroit. Right.
0: In Detroit, we have a um, a sports writer named Tony Paul.
2: Named Tony? Tony Paul. Oh, I right. know who that is. A ba- yeah.
0: He's a base, national baseball writer. Right. A couple of years ago, the uh, job opening came up at Detroit News uh, for the Tigers beat writer. And the Tigers went to the Detroit News and said, we don't want this guy on the beat because basically he asked too many tough questions. I know the PR can, department. Can, can you imagine? This is the tiger. The PR department. Goal,
2: the gall, the the right, team.
0: The PR department of the Tigers. Has,
2: is, that know, Ron, is that Ron Colangelo? Yeah. I yes. knew him yes. because he was a PR guy of the Jets. So oh, really? I go back to Flashville, He was the head PR guy the Jets. Was he so, like that? No, Ron, I thought Ronnie was a good guy. I never had a problem with him at all. Yeah, tried controlling the Jets' PR. Yeah, God. right. That's yeah.
0: A, and that's the thing: the dichotomy <laughs> between New job. York and Detroit. Yeah. In Detroit, I know three people, journalists who've covered the Tigers. Who, after asking back when Jim Leland was the manager, tough questions. You know, why did you? Why did you uh, not? Uh, why did you bunt in this situation? Why did they pull him to the side? The PR department after the, the scrum. And say, we don't want you asking those type of questions. That's what's going it's on in the city of Detroit. You know what?
2: The city of Detroit schmoit. I'll tell you something that happened to me a few years ago. I had a, a friend, acquaintance, a colleague of mine named Dan Leberfeld in New York. And he owns and has published for many years a New York Jets newspaper. It's not a house organ. Got nothing to do with the Jets. He writes what he wants. But he's not real tough. But he writes what he wants to about the Jets. So I wrote for him for a year. Just whatever you know, we decide. Once you write a column on this, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I was at Jets camp a number of times after I left television and essentially radio. So now we're out at a Jets workout, and uh, somebody says to me, "Hey, you know, Jets are trying out a kid from your hometown." Uh, I said, "You really he's from Detroit?" He said, no, he's not. He's from your hometown. He's from Gross Point. I said, the Jets are trying out a kid from Groves Point? Bring that young man to me. I must meet him. So it turns out his name was Charlie Massant, and he was a long snapper trying to make the Jets, and he didn't. Turns out he comes over. I graduated from high school with his father. I think his father's okay. name was Al Massant. I barely know. Why am I telling you this? Because the whole time he and I are just bullshitting, since I can say things like you that can on say your podcast. You want. The whole time we're bullshitting, there's a Jets PR minion who couldn't have been older than 25 or 26 running a small tape recorder on our conversation. So they have a record of what Charlie Massant said to me. So uh, so if he didn't say the right thing, they're going to sit him down. Hey, you got to be careful. The media going to try to trick you. They're going to ask you this. Office. I said, we put that. F- I'm, just, I'm not doing an interview. I'm talking with this kid from my hometown outside of Detroit. It's unbelievable. Eli Zerrett came up with a great term for this. When we were kids, and I, my first year covering the Tigers in 1974, Hal Middlesworth, the Tigers' uh, great uh, avuncular public relations man, you know, he came to me a couple times just trying to tell me you know, how things are done and how they're not, but in, in a very nice way. you know. And he, finally, he said to me, he says, you know, Bob, what we are is we are service people. We are here to service the media. That is our job. is our only job. So whatever you need to know, whatever you need, just come see us. We'll talk to you about it. They've gone from that to what Eli Zaret has brilliantly termed PR prevention. It's now PR prevention where they're going to try to stand in your way, make it impossible. To, you to do your job. It's like uh, Orwellian big brother, you know, uh, watching what you're doing. It's the damnedest thing ever. Right. I mean, I'm really – I'm so happy that, um, that I, I covered sports the 30-plus years I did when I was younger because it was a whole different thing.
0: What right is Eli like doing these days?
2: He is uh, semi-retired. He he lives in uh, out in uh, Rochester with his longtime wife Patty, and uh, he has like a little advertising agency that he does, and uh, so he's got clients and he places their commercials on local TV and And once in a while, you'll see a commercial with "Hi, this is Eli Zaret for you know whatever it is." So. Uh, you know, we're all kind of winding it down here, and <laughs> so yeah, I've already wound it down. So now, now you're retired from
0: MSG, and you're down <laughs> in what West Palm Beach?
2: Or? Yeah, I, I live uh, in New York City half the year, and I have—I've never left New York, and I and I have a house in West Palm Beach, my legal residence. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you have family still here. Obviously, you're—you're. You're I have my summer. daughters Kelly and Stacey, are here. Believe it or not, I have three grandchildren, and if you really want to hear this, my oldest grandson just the other day turned 22. He just graduated wow. He graduated from the University of Michigan. And my younger grandson, uh, Bob Depolo, Rob DiPolo, uh, Adam's brother, uh, is a music producer in Detroit. He goes to the Detroit Center for Creative Arts. And then I have an adorable little girl who's uh, three years old, Stacy's kid. So, and, of course, guys I've known uh, for 100 years. I'm going to have lunch uh, at, and go to the ballgame with Eli tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to have dinner with Neil Rubin, the Detroit News columnist. But it's just people, old guys. Right. You know, we've known each other forever.
1: Well, so. I was going to ask you: Do you do you still keep up uh, not just in past with but Detroit
2: sports? Yeah, I read the news and free press every single morning of my life. I pay $165 a year so I can see every Detroit Tiger game in my New York City apartment. I pay $165 in the wintertime so I can see every Detroit Red Wing game. I'm a Michigan State alumnus who grew up a wacko Michigan fan, and I covered Michigan uh, for so many, many years. I never miss a single Michigan football game or Michigan State football game. I never miss a Michigan State basketball game, and it's rare that I miss a Michigan basketball game. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is my hometown, and it's just, uh, I went to the Tigers, the kind of thing I do when I'm in Detroit, I went to the Tigers' annual uh, alumni golf outing yesterday up in Moabee, my God, the people who were there, guys I used to cover, you know, a long time ago. I even covered K-Line in the last year of his career in '74. Oh, wow. So K-Line was there, and, you know, Lola, Jack showed up, uh, Whitaker showed up, Frank Tanana. I mean, so many guys. Bit players with the Tigers, good Tom Timmerman, Dan Petrie, and you know, all these guys are there. It's just, you know, we just talk about stuff. Mike Henneman, you know, we just talk about all this stuff.
0: A bunch of guys he has no idea who they are. Yeah, no, I, what, I, I do. What, 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 position was
1: what
2: position was Henneman?
1: Oh, he was, uh, the, the, the left. Guard?
0: <laughs> left
1: guard, he was a freaking closer <laughs> for the Tigers. You didn't have the fucking right sport. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. Okay. Obviously no, I do not know who Mike. But Henneman you know what, you
2: know what, Jasper, I will, I will but, say this. I will say this about this kind of thing which I see from your generation all the time. By the time I was 9 or 10 years old, I give you the starting lineup of the 1927 New York Yankees. I knew I knew all about Bob Feller and I knew all about the great stars of, you know, baseball in the golden era in the 30s, 40s, 50s. You kids seem to have no interest in any Thing that occurred prior to 1990.
1: Oh, that's not true. I just no. I'm I'm not a big uh, baseball or right. hockey. Give me give me football. Give me then you're in the wrong. Basketball. Then
2: son, you're in the wrong business if you're not a big baseball or hockey guy because know, you're working in the wrong town.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. I don't want to work in this town. That's why I'm here with Jack. <laughs> you right, should yeah. be lucky to be working <laughs> so, in this town. Yes, but um, <laughs> so well, it, no. But I think the reason I don't though is because of a lot of the things that we've talked about. Where right. there's this sense of
2: Provincial what have the, what, what
0: have the Red Wings done wrong in your lifetime? I mean, uh, come on. Hey, no, I can't. Well, <laughs> yeah. the last few years have been exactly. Well,
2: I, I don't know. Right. Last time I looked, they made the play- playoffs yeah. one yeah, quarter we, century in right. a row. No, no, they they have. But there have yeah. been some issues
0: with Ken Holland. Yeah. They, yeah,
2: and and just because. Yeah, how'd you like what he did the other day with Phoenix, with the Arizona Coyotes?
0: That, I'll let that shoe drop when they sign whoever they do in free agency. S-
2: stroke of genius. What he did, just getting rid of that salary. You know, I, I
1: still – I believe that the best executive in this town is Stan Van Gundy. I believe the best head coach in this town is Stan Van Gundy. You know what? I believe the team with the best chance Stan of winning a title in the next five years. I've known, the Detroit yeah, I've know,
2: I've known Stan a long time. Um, I worked with his brother Jeff Van Gundy in New York because mm-hmm. Jeff was a low-ranking right. assistant with the Knicks and everything like that. Worked Van, out OK for him. Well, the Van Gundys are, are a terrific family and those are great basketball men. But Stan Van Gundy, I think he was extremely lucky to get any NBA head coaching job after what he'd done. Not to say he's not a good coach. His nickname, of course, you know, courtesy of Shaquille O'Neal is... What's his nickname? You don't know this? Shaq calls it to him to his face. Ron Jeremy. Oh, oh of yeah, course, yeah, of yeah. course, of <laughs> course. Because I, I, they, I they, Stan, think, they think yeah. he looks like Ron I call, Jeremy. I've been calling Stan Jeremy. I mean, from Stan the waist Van up Van we're Jeremy. talking about. Yeah, right. Right. Stan yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, but anyway, I don't want
0: to <laughs> know about the waist down, really. Yeah,
2: so, so Stan was very lucky to get any head coaching job, and now this guy, Goris, and the jury, jury is really out on him, has essentially turned the keys to the franchise over to him. I mean, I, I don't know. The Pistons certainly are better than they were a couple of years ago, but the best general manager in this town, you can arguably say the best ever, is Ken Holland. By far,
1: wow, that's very interesting because we would, we would, we I would, disagree. how do they get we I gotta, would strongly one my, disagree. One of on my
2: buddies point. from New York City is the director of broadcasting for the Columbus Blue Jackets and has been for years. We email all the time. He says, How the hell do you guys keep finding these players? How are you finding these European guys in the scouting department? department. Well, it doesn't matter, they right. work for, they work yeah, for Kenny Howland. but, and, but her, they work for Kenny Howland. He hires, hold him. on,
0: Hawken and Anderson. Predated right. she, the guy who drafted right. Zetterberg and Datsuk. Predated right. Ken Holland being right. here, and a lot of what and and let's Ken, also look at it? their draft record lately. It's not Wait, what?
2: who was this Anthony C who was going to be the Hockey Hall of Fame they, in another well, twenty five years. You mean the years. guy
1: who they refused, the to, call the who they refused to
0: call up? The guy who they refused to call up? He played a,
2: play a lot to me. They, they no, didn't But want you know who drafted time.
0: him? You know who? And 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 we had people from the right world organization tell us, Jim Neal who was the. Played for assistant. the Wings. I've mean, I covered Jim yeah, when he Jim, played. You for the covered Wings. Jim in yeah. the '80s. He yeah. was the assistant GM for the Wings for years, yeah. and now he's running Dallas. And what a lot of people in Detroit think is that Jim Neal, who's in Dallas, running the team. Steve Eiserman, who's running Tampa, who's got them to the Stanley right. Cup two years ago, Conference Finals this year a lot of the things that were going on, Hawk and Anderson, who's been the scout for since 1991. I understand that. Right. But There's since a you lot of things that go guys, into since it. Since you
2: guys disagree with me, yeah. then I challenge you, in all sports, and as you know, our teams have a tawdry history in many respects, name a better GM than Kenny Holland. Who was clear? Oh, that guy was much better GM. I mean, Dombrowski, Dombrowski's looking even better now, and we see some of the moves that Al has made with this team, some of the signings they made. Who's been a better general manager in the history of the Detroit 49 Well, you want to talk about Detroit signings, teams, you want to Jack yeah. McCloskey. I'll think Jack okay, McCloskey you know, that, yeah, any day of the week. Okay, over yeah, and, you know what? You're right. Well, yeah. and you want to talk? Ja- about, I'm not saying Jack's better, but Jack's I, I think was the infrastructure
0: around the right. Red Wings with having Jimmy Devillano there, with having Scotty Bowman, Jimmy Devillano. Yeah. Well, and but, What's he's but, dead weight. But also you see, <laughs> him but, the, out, but look, but look, that, away that team. Jeff, but hold on but, a second. Uh, that uh, team okay. was carried by the '89 draft when they drafted Fedorov, Konstantinov, McCarty, Dallas Drake. They got like. They got a couple basically Hall of Fame talent in one draft, and that predated predated Ken Holland. Ken Holland was a Western scout back then, and Hocken Anderson, like I said, he was the European scout seven years before Ken Holland got the GM job. So yeah, Ken Holland did a lot of good in the pre-cap era. My problem with Ken Holland is I don't think he's been able to adjust to not having Mike Illich's $80 million payroll. And
1: and also he's lost a lot of the guys around him. I look at it like this. I say – What's, what's a good signing that he's made since 2000 and since he signed? Uh, um, Hosa. Hosa in 2008, in the ad-off season. They haven't what's, had one. What's the best trade he's made since he traded for Brad Stewart in 2007? But you look
2: at the, the it's players a decade. they've drafted, 14 teams passed on Dylan Larkin. Right. Kenny Holland didn't. 14 teams passed on it's, Dylan but Larkin. But it's
1: also been a decade, almost, he, right. since he's made a good free agent signing. There's a lot of heat on Kenny Holland. I look at him I, I, I look less like that. Dombrowski. I look yeah. at him more like Dumars, where I have to wonder, was it Was around him? And a little bit of luck that set this up? There's or always was it luck. Actually, yeah. oh, there's always you know, luck, of course. Living but. in South
2: Florida for 15 years, I, uh, I get a press pass uh, from the Panthers PR people. And I, I'll go to three or four games a year, and I'll watch some more Panthers games on TV. Stevie Weiss, one of the better two-way players I've seen in hockey in a long time. You have no idea how good he was in Florida. So when the Wings got him, I thought, wow, they got Stevie Weiss. I don't know what happened. Right. How do you Injury. not sign Stevie Weiss? Right. I don't know what happened.
0: So let me. We'll, we'll we'll let you out of this uh, doom room, dungeon of doom. <laughs> dungeon, not not to yeah. steal the Detroit right. uh, Lions beat writers. But can persona. you can you give us uh, a, a good good Al Ackerman story?
2: Well, I wrote of, you a bunch of them. I mean, I they are just so many uh, there are just so many stories. The um, ABC. Uh, National in New York uh, way back in the late 70s, mid and late 70s, had what they called a DEF feed, daily electronic feed. I think what it stood for. And any of the ABC owned and operated stations, and we were one of those. Anything was going on that was big in your market – they you, you they had a little window to look at, you know, 1055, 1056 at night because they wanted the stuff ready for 11, whatever it was. So there was a lot of stuff going on in Detroit. So I would go up after I'd finished all my stuff for Ackerman, helping him put a show together. I would go up to, uh, to the master control upstairs and, and say, guys, if you feed this down to New York, they're going to use this. I believe they were paying me a lot of money to do that. I think it was I got $30 a pop. To send, a, to send a piece down to New York at the network. And they'd send me a little check for a couple hundred bucks here and there, or 300 bucks here and there, something like that. And Ackerman just went insane, insane. You want to be down here with me? I said, Al, the show's ready. You ready to go? I need you down here with me. He was so insecure, so desperately insecure, and not a nice man. Not a nice right. man. And so he'd be screaming. And, of course, the, the vulgar language, the obscenities and stuff, and uh, you're upstairs you know, feeding those people in New York and everything like that. I mean, it was just impossible to deal with. And then, of course, as I wrote you a while ago and wrote a lot of my friends, then he would get off the air at 1130 tell me, before goes, I'm really going to do a number on this guy tonight. Watch. you know, He'd get off the air at 1130, rip somebody to shreds, go back in the office, and the phone would ring. Somehow somebody had gotten through to our sports department. He says, this is Al Ackerman. You know, I, you know, that was the most ridiculous thing you've ever said in your life. And I said, yeah, you feel that way, sir? Fuck you. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> then, he would, then he would turn to me and he'd say. Can you imagine? This is what was going on yeah. in the 80s. Now,
0: 70s. Now we have, this is the 70s. 70s. We have Brad Galley now. Bernie's bloopers. I, Dan Miller, who I like Dan, but he's sure basically he's nice bought person. and paid I'm sure he's for. A nice I love it. Dan yeah. used to put me on TV right. on Fox yeah. Two on Sports But anyway,
2: so then he was slammed on the phone. He would turn to me and he'd say, "I just made another fan for life," and because people going to watch right. him. Then we're sitting there, and thirty seconds later, and another telephone line rings. Al picks it up. Hello. Oh hi baby. How you doing? Sweet I got I miss you so much. I love you so much. You waiting for me at home, baby, right now? Are you oh it's just oh I love it's just embarrassing for me to sit there listening to him coo and bill with his a wife out in Bloomfield Hills, wherever they live. And he would have this Indian woman, uh uh not American Indian, no India Indian woman, who uh ran some kind of upscale little boutique store in what we used to call when I was kid uptown Birmingham now they call it right. downtown Birmingham and so Every day, Al would would tell him, it was Bella. Who's Bella, I want something really nice for tonight, really nice for tonight. And she'd come into our offices about 3.30 in the afternoon, and she'd have some expensive little trinket or gift or something. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Thanks, Bella. I'll put it on my tab. you know. And then he would take it home to his girl every single night. And the funny thing about his wife, Therese, is that sometimes she would call the sports department, and I would answer, I said, is Al there? I said, um, no, he's not right now. This is Bob. Said, this is this Therese? Yes, Tell Al I called. Not, hey, Bob, how you doing? Al treating you well? What's going on these days? It's just extremely cold. So I'm sitting in the press box at Tiger Stadium one night, as I did. We were up there every night. And Sonny Elliott would always sit there between shows. I love. I mean, who could you not love Sonny? He was was a Legend in this town. But so we're sitting there one night, and he suddenly, the subject of Al and Therese comes up, and he just goes off on Therese, goes off on her. I looked at him. He was Al's best friend. They were running buddies together, you know? I looked at him and I said, Sonny, I thought you liked Therese. He looked at me and said, Bob, I never liked her when I liked her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a great story awesome. that you shared yeah. when uh, Al passed away. I mean, there's so many yeah.
2: answers. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, though, Jeff. People say, why don't you write a book and everything about this? And I, I'm not going to do it. But if I do, there's so many people who would get a chapter in my book from Vitale to Ackerman to Bill Frieder to Johnny Orr to Bo to anybody imaginable. They get a chapter in my book. Only one person in my book would get two chapters because you couldn't tell it all in one and nobody would ever believe it all anyway. Ron Cameron. Oh, yeah. You couldn't tell it all and nobody would believe it anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's there's some stories that I've been told, which I'll just speak <laughs> to myself. And they're probably but, all true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Greg Henson told a story about how I, – I, I'm not going to go into it. You know, I when, knew
2: that guy. I never liked that guy. Never, like, never, liked The godfather of sports that. talk radio. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. Mike Stone asked me one time when they were working on the W4 studios years ago. He right. said, Bob, I didn't know you are in town. Can you come on down and do the show this afternoon? And I said, oh, sure. Well, I could be happy to do that. You know. So I come down at the appointed hour, as I did for your show. So Stoney has me on, and we're talking. We're doing some stuff. And then during a commercial break halfway through the show, we're off the air – door opens and here comes henson who is a program director right. something stoney had done or not done he didn't like and he read stoney the riot act right in front of me and he was, i said you talk about no class you talk about an asshole who on earth could ever work for anybody like that i, I just this guy henson blew me away what right. a jerk he was
0: yeah well that's Greg. that's We've had our battles uh, in the past, but sure, we're, yeah. we're on
2: peaceful terms. At the- yeah, you, you know, I'll tell you this, because I covered Ralph Hawke for a number of years. I covered Ralph Hawke for a number of years. He didn't like the media. He didn't like us. And he was a hard guy to warm up to. He never had a player, except for one or two, maybe, who didn't love playing for Ralph Hawke. This guy was a decorated major in the ETO, European Theater of Operations, in World War II. He was a leader of men. And sometimes, stuff would happen that he didn't like. Saw something he didn't like, whatever. Game's over. Door closed after everybody cools off half an hour. Gal come and see Hulk. Door closed. Hulk might have gone off on him right. and read him the riot act, but nobody ever knew a thing about it. Right. Nobody ever knew a thing about it because you don't dress anybody down like that and embarrass them in just, public.
0: Just for you, Ralph Hulk, yeah. manager of the Tigers and the... Mid to late well, he managed 70s. the Yankees. He managed yeah. the Yankees after
2: right. Casey Stingle. He won world championships yeah. with the uh, Yankees. But he was, and managed the Red Sox. Before, the, before uh, Les Detroit Moss too.
0: and uh, yeah. Sparky Anderson. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming in and giving us some time. And My pleasure. Yeah. I, I told you in the email when we were going back and forth that back, I think, I thought it was my senior year in high school. It must have been like when I was like 16. The uh, Free Press had a uh, seminar for like young journalism students down at the old building on Lafayette that they Sold because they can't make any money in the publishing of newspapers anymore. But uh, and you'd go from like class to class, and there were speakers. One of the there was two people I remember who gave speeches that day. uh, That I went because you had to sign up for different classes or speeches, whatever it was. Uh, One was Terry Foster, who must have been probably like twenty six at that point. I thought he was an older guy, but when you're in high school, you have no concept, but Terry Foster was talking about covering the Pistons on the beat, and if he had known then, in nineteen probably eighty seven, what he knows now, he probably would have taken me into a bathroom and flushed me down a toilet and killed <laughs> me. Uh, to you know, uh, did, did he know anything then? He was funny. I mean, he oh, was, really? was you know, was, he doesn't looking, know anything was, now. Listen, it so. was it was during high school, and we got to go talk, listen to speakers, so we weren't actually in class. So. It could have been basically anything. But Terry, seemed like he was a pretty. He seemed like a pretty cool young guy and telling us about what it was like covering the bad boys and things like that. I hope he didn't use any hyperbole when
1: yeah, talking no. about his experience. Well, I, you <laughs> know,
2: I, I have seen some of the things that you guys have said about you know Terry and other people. And I'll say this. When I was in my heyday in New York, we had five pretty powerful writers. Their only beat was television and radio, sports broadcasting. It was their only beat. New right. York Post, New York Daily you know, Long Island, New York Times, so on and so forth. This market has been so soft. It's never had anybody like that. And I think that you guys, whether you're right or wrong or people agree or not, doesn't matter. You guys are providing a service because people now are on the Internet. They hear your podcast, whatever, and they hear you saying things about people that in many cases need to be said. Well, well and you went
0: to right, himself compared me to Phil. Mushnick, well, no, I would. Oh, I mean, I would say oh, right yeah. now yeah. you
1: are looking across the table from the only Sport, or sports radio critic, television right. critic in yeah. this town, yeah. period.
0: The free and News both had one. Well, we had day. Joe
2: LaPointe covered yep. me. who in, went in, to the New York, in, York but, Times. But, but Joe was never real tough. He was a good guy. Um... And then there was. Steve
0: Cornacki Mc- once did it? Uh, no,
2: I know Steve, but I don't remember him ever writing about us. Probably after you left. Then there was a guy, a black guy named Jim McFarlane, who covered yep. Detroit radio for the news. Good guy. and uh, But there was never anything really controversial or hard hitting.
0: There was nothing tabloid esque. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, be- you, but you were the per- other person that day oh. who I was going to get to yeah. that, that was giving that speech. And this is back in probably the or to- the heyday of your show with Cameron. And I'll never forget, we walked out of that building because you were the last person that I had to see, and then we were done with the seminar. And I'll never forget, I walked out of that building with you. And my dad saw, because my dad and I, we used to watch you and Cameron every single week on that show. And i, I never forget, my dad was just shaking his head. I got in the car, he's like, because we were just walking out like contemporaries. You were telling me stories or whatever, like today, basically. Mm-hmm. And he just never, he, he, just, he always, for years and years, he would always still go back to that story about Bob Page and his son walking out that door, just shooting. Very, the shit. I told you
2: that. I'm I'm extremely yeah. flattered by that. Yeah. I'm very flattered. And it was by
0: uh, and, yeah. and it was very, it was a, great to have you here People, today.
2: Well, thanks. Jeff. People were always shocked because of my on air persona. They thought I was some kind of a jerk, and when they met me personally, they thought, wow, he's totally different off the air. So. That was just me. Some people say the same
1: thing about me. (laughs) No, you're a pretty big jerk on (laughs) and off. Jessica, would you like to comment comment on that?
2: No comment. So he's cool.
3: (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're nice. You've always been nice to me.
2: (laughs) So you got a kid working here from Detroit. Who doesn't want to work in Detroit at his tender age? He has no interest in baseball. He only has no oh, interest I don't in baseball. No
1: I just said I mean, I'm I'm more of a football and basketball guy. Okay. The guy so was does he have? Syracuse. A, does he have some? He
0: graduated kind of, from Syracuse, so he thinks he's entitled to be the next Mike Tariq. You, but you're from or, Detroit,
2: yes. And you went to Syracuse. Oh, of course. Broadcasting, yes. Well, I don't, I mean, Syracuse is a good but not great university. And the money <laughs> you pay to go there for oh, it's ridiculous. It's a, pri- it's a private. Oh university. no, I, as a the university, yes. Seen.
1: But the Newhouse yeah. School is worth. Every penny,
0: in my opinion. Yeah. So. Of course
2: it is. Yes.
0: Well, thanks a lot uh, for coming in. I owe you a lunch. Oh, yeah. probably. You don't owe me. Probably anything. maybe a dinner at Lally's or something even better oh. than that. But oh, Bella Piatti You said always something always got better. To work in the uh, dad's uh, promo.
2: There, just so. another fifteen or twenty years when you're driving down the street in your hot new car, your Mercedes, whatever you got, and there's a drunken bum lying in the roadway clutching an empty bottle of Wild Turkey. That looked like Paige. (laughs) Just do me a favor and just replace it with a new bottle of Wild Turkey. Well,
0: hopefully that happens when I'm on my way to Gulfstream Park near your uh, winter home and not up here where be a lot colder
2: <laughs> that's, what the, that's the one of the things that makes America so great it is your right as an American to live in any of the 50 states you choose
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and for some reason I'm stuck here <laughs> thanks Bob Page we're going to take a break we're going to come back we'll talk about uh, what I don't know what the hell we're going to talk uh, about Tigers, tigers some we of the can talk the, about the Red Wings draft the Lion story we're going to we're gonna have, a play, have a contest in about 15 minutes so. beautiful thanks for joining us thanks for Bob Page again I, I enjoyed it thank you Beautiful. very much thank you very yeah. much we'll be back in a few minutes You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. I yelled at you about smoking, Bob. Yeah. What do you, well, like I yell at you about smoking. like, you're Bob. such a
3: pretty, nice young lady. Why are you smoking?
0: <laughs> I yell at you about smoking every week. You don't listen to me. I know. So uh, what did you think of that interview, folks?
3: I thought it was great.
0: Oh, I I loved it. I mean...
1: I'm a nerd for anything that's related to broadcasting, especially sports broadcasting, and it's just always cool to learn about guys who came before you, especially when you don't have the opportunity on a daily basis to. So talking to a guy like Bob Page, who is somebody who even I know is a legend in this town, is a legend just in general in this industry – very cool, very cool, and I'm very glad you were able to book. Yeah, him. you were like
3: an excited little kid. I've never seen you like usually. You know, I'd mention this off uh, air, but usually, you know, you're you're on some Jeff terror was giddy mission. Yeah, Jeff he was, was giddy. He was a little was starstruck truly and a little excited. Giddy. I've never seen that before. It was refreshing. It was adorable. <laughs> You've it was got very to understand.
0: Cute. You've got to understand. This was this this was a time where there just was nobody to relate to. When I was growing up, like I wanted criticism. The, the Red Wings, at that point, had, hadn't won a cup in 30-some years, and the, and they were st- a struggling team. They'd finally um, made the playoffs and got to the conference finals by the time he left. But you're talking about a team in 1985 that had 40 points. Like, where's the, someone screaming about this franchise and in this organization? Uh, the Lions were horrible. I mean, the 80s, holy cow. I mean, the 90s with Barry Sanders— were like the on Days of the line. If you remember the eighties when when Bob Page was was doing no. the show with Cameron, this is when their head coach Daryl Rogers was begging to get fired. And where could you you know where could you go to hear any criticism? There was no sports talk radio. There was no ninety seven one. There was no eleven thirty there was no twelve seventy there was none of that. All you had was sports rap which was at 6.30 to like 7 o'clock, WJR, with Frank Beckman or Paul Chapman. And it was horrible. And you turned on this show with Bob and his co-host, Ron Cameron, and these guys were, whatever you want to say, Cameron, I I never liked. Uh, I always pretty much sided with what Bob's takes were, but we're speaking kind of stuff that what the DSR has been doing for the last few years. Well, and even if you didn't agree with Cameron, uh, Bob needed somebody... To have a well, different a opinion than him, right? But it was so. just, and, and sometimes Cameron was right. But the guy was just such a slob. I mean, I, I, like I said, the the, the uh, comparison to uh, Parker is just so accurate. I just the guy was just an absolute slovenly human being and just <laughs> spit all over the camera it seemed. But well, but like you but were saying, least, okay. but it was unfiltered, as Bob told us, and I wanted to ask him, but I forgot before we went on the air when we were doing the kind of the just talking about what we were going to discuss. Bob said that they shot the show to pass. Now, this is before your time, but Pass was the was the predecessor to Fox Sports Detroit. They covered the Wings, the Tigers, and then Fox Sports Detroit came in, and then that was the end of Pass. Yeah. But that was really kind of just a well, transition. Well, Fox, Fox wasn't right. even a thing Pass, until the 90s. Right, right. So. Fa- Pass and, and Fox Sports Detroit are basically the same thing. It's just a n- different name. But that show was, he said, Pass said, this is so too controversial. We're not going to touch that show. What in Detroit, other than Valente, who... I give him his props for being the one person who will rip teams, but I have my own issues with him because I, I believe he's a biter and he steals a lot of my material. Being the tallest midget doesn't make you Shaquille O'Neal, exactly. And but that's what Bob Page was to me. Uh, it was personal because my dad and I used to watch that show every single week, and it, it was just it was just something in my home. I mean, that's just that's what it was, and I'm glad that we had him on. Um, we're going to have a contest in a couple minutes. Uh, we're going to call a guy who won the Twitter um, drawing to be on the air and to uh, have a chance to win a couple Tiger tickets from Cali tickets in the future. But uh, is there anything you want to ask me about any of the articles I wrote over the last week before we get in that? Have, have a couple-minute segment here, or anything you want to discuss about what we've been posting or discussing on the DSR? the.
1: Well, i I've been working seventy hour work weeks for the, you, the last two weeks. I thought you quit Toast. Oh, I quit Toast yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I I had enough. Can you
0: tell the Vince Ellis story now?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I waited on Vince Ellis. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yesterday, <laughs> I gave a good Yesterday, I waited on uh, I waited on Maiden and J D Martinez. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Did I you did. ask J D how was coming along in his rehab? No, I did not. I should so have. So what, uh, you know what? I What have purpose said? do you serve this show? I should have. I really should have asked him how, if he was uh, planning on regressing. Like Greg Schultz promised
0: he would. three Wait a second, did you wait on at Bell Piotti? No. Oh damn! Because that would have been great. You could have said, "Do you know that someone uh, I'm friends with wins a hundred and fifty dollar dinner
2: <laughs> Here every single year
0: <laughs> based on your OPS?" And this will be the third year running. Like I, Joff Mess has won like four hundred and fifty dollars in fine dining from Greg Schultz because of your OPS every year. No. You like you? What you just clammed up? No, I
1: just, I I don't like to do that. I've waited on Verlander. I've waited on Verlander. I've waited on Upton. It's not a big deal. Gerard Carmichael is the only guy that I've ever fangirled oh, for. Oh, he's got a lot to do with Detroit sports. That I've seen at any of my, uh, any restaurants that I've ever
0: worked at. Yeah, how many times are you going to post that picture on social media? As, you and your buddy Gerard Carmichael. Uh, stand-up comedian for you. So Gerard you know, Carmichael. I don't even know his name. I know J.D. Martinez is his name. Well, whatever. Julio Daniel. That's,
1: that's because you're a neophyte, okay? <laughs> Putting right. that putting so that forty five putting that sixty thousand dollar a year uh, Syracuse education to work for me with S- sixty thousand a year. Well, if you put in everything you know, Holy tuition, cow. tuition's just Does that including all the alcohol. Tuition's just forty five thousand. So
0: yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. affordable. All right. What do you think of the? I, I was trying to. Just, I was telling you, you get here early. I was trying to set you up with the cleaning lady's daughter. Yeah, she was cute. I yeah. think a little young for me. A little young for you. Yeah, twenty two.
1: She How looked like eighteen.
0: Wait a second. What? That's young Why for you? Why is that
3: too young for you? That's just out
1: of
0: There's high school. There's like a
3: four-year difference. Nobody said you had I a have, marriage. I have, no, G. if you were
1: never in high school when I was in high school, you're too young for me.
3: So you have to, well, so the girl has, age, has to be able age. to like go and drink with you. So 21 or 22 is like you're very... I'd date Very a twenty. I
1: would date a twenty. Of old. dating, I'd date a twenty.
3: Okay, so twenty to twenty-two. There's plenty of. That's what I'm saying. Age group, if
1: you're so. a trust me, as I was a senior in college this last year, and freshmen in college and seniors in college are like living on completely different planets. You try. I don't want anything to do with a girl who just graduated. Yeah, this is high what school. happens when
0: you're good looking. You can actually be picky.
3: Well, yeah, he's be not picky. hideous. so uh, yeah. Jeff, I, I be haven't picky. gotten
1: laid since spring
0: break. Well, what? I, I
3: feel like that's your choice, though. No, yeah. Yeah. really. Well, sort of. Then step Please. your game up. I mean, we know the girl is com- the
0: girl tried to have sex with you in the bathroom at Bella Piatti. You ended up grinding on Nicky. Or I almost, I actually almost. Had something in Ann Arbor
1: on Sunday, but because I'm a moron, I went home to wake up at 6 a.m. and work at a job that I quit that same day, so.
3: I will say I'm proud of you for not having socks in the bathroom, but I don't know what happened the other night. Thank
1: so. you. I'm glad yeah. that Jeff and I have set the standards so high <laughs> to where not having sex in a bathroom with a random woman who propositions you at work is Pride inducing. All I don't right. know, man. If, well, I, looked, you know, if I was your are, age and looked like you, I'd be strange, on uh, so. Tinder
0: and every night. Oh, I am. With another girl. But I am. But I don't, don't know. Remember. My wife just texted me, Why are you smoking? Like, What?
3: But no, I was smoking. Yeah, the guy please. yelled at me about smoking. Yeah.
0: Wow. I'm, I'm glad we got
1: Bob Page in here to have the great discussion, and now we've just completely taken everything off the rails. But don't worry. Weren't we going to talk about Spir- sports? Isn't Spir- this a sports Spira- show? Spiro's
0: already bombing us at TV. oh <laughs> well, I Here's I here's why. former host of the show, Darko State News. This week's DSR podcast is like sitting behind. Two chatty strangers on an airplane. Is the DRSR <laughs> podcast going to actually talk about something this week? Oh, poor us! All uh, right, oh. we're gonna we're gonna go to a break. We're gonna come back and play a game with uh, someone who won the uh, Twitter contest, and then uh, we're just gonna piss off Spiro even further because we're really not. <laughs> That's fine with anything. me. I know. Well, I'm not even gonna get into the two of you because I, I kind of side with Spiro a little on that. I don't want to get. We're gonna have to have an intervention after the show, but. Anyway, all right. So, all right, we'll be back. We're going to play the contest. It's going to be who said who said what. Uh, Bob Wojnowski, Stephen A. Smith, or Skip Bayless. Uh, stay tuned for a quick break, and we'll be back with that. You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag podcast. All right, we're back. Quick break on the DSR podcast, episode 36, June 28th. About a week ago, Dan Miller, after the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers won their first title for the city of Cleveland in 52 years. Skip Bayless was still criticizing LeBron James and Dan Miller, who is the uh, obviously the uh, sports director at Fox 2 and main anchor there, Lions play-by-play announcer. And the host of Sportsworks on Sunday night started kind of criticizing Skip Bayless and bombing him like, get a new act. This shtick is done. And I responded to him by, why don't you clean your own house? Because you basically have the Detroit version of Skip Bayless on every once every other week on your program Sportsworks and Bob Wojanowski, who has been saying, you know, absolutely. Wait, didn't you just bomb Wojo? Last week, for being too pandering to Detroit athletes, you would never see him say any of the things he said about Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Klay Thompson. Okay, okay, about, about Andre Drummond or Pavel Datsuk or Henrik Zetterberg. That's it's all that's national a, That's a, Okay, that's but a, was very a fair, fair question. That's a fair, a fair question, yes. That's my retort. No, I agree. Okay, I so I said, totally dude, you know, right, clean up your own house before you start going after Skip Bales because you basically twice a month, put on a pudgy Detroit version of Skip Bayless on your airwaves for 12 or 13 minutes with Jamie Samuelson. So I I had the idea for a game. Take the tweets of Wojo Nowski, Bob, as I refuse to call him by his name Wojo anymore because it just seems too Familiar and I I really don't want to be cordial with him because I'm kind of sick of his shit. Also, there's a way more famous Wojo in sports writing. So Right. There's a more famous <laughs> Wojo in sports writing. There was a more famous this Wojo is like, this is like being Wojo Howitz on this Barney like,
1: Miller. It's like being uh, the
0: nature boy buddy Landell. You know what I mean? That's excellent point, Jack. Thank you. That's why we have you here. Uh-huh. So I've came up with a game where we have the tweets of Bob Wojanowski. Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith, uh, two national imbeciles, who you know everyone criticizes—from Dan Miller to awful announcing to Deadspin, to to pretty much everyone. Scott in the world. Van Pelt yeah, himself, Scott Van Pelt, <laughs> kicking Skip Bayless in the ass on the way out the door from ESPN to Fox Sports. So I figured, let's do a game where we get someone on the line and ask them who tweeted what between those three gentlemen. So I had a Twitter contest. And the winner of that contest is on the line, a man named Dane. Are you there, Dane?
1: Hey, Jeff. How you doing?
0: Okay, pretty good. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, tweet- retweeting good. my article out and uh, qualifying for this tournament. So the game's pretty simple. I'm going to give you a tweet. I'm going to read it to you. And then all you have to say, it, guess, is is it Wojnowski, Skip Bayless, or Stephen A. Smith? If you get three out of the five right that we're going to ask you, then you are going to win two t- Tiger tickets courtesy of my friend Mark Goldman, at CaliTickets.com. And if you don't get 3 out of
1: 5 right, Jeff and I are going to go scalp them right (laughs) Right. outside of the stadium. So
0: We need the money. Exactly. Because Jasper is doing a horrible job of selling ads for the show. And I just quit (laughs) my job, so. All right, and he quit one of his jobs at Toast. All right, so the first one I'm going to give you, this is going to be a test, so just we can figure out if uh, this is something that you... uh, are you know you're accustomed to and to get you familiar with the game. So I'm going to read you one, and then you're going to give a, the answer. So this one is quote okay. quote Draymond greater than LeBron in one important way. LeBron doesn't make his teammates appreciably better. It's all him or nothing. Who said that? Bob Ojanowski, Skip Bayless, or Stephen A. Smith? It's got to be Wojo. Okay, so that was a test one. So you got that right. So you know how to play the game. Okay. All right, let's go all to right. the, let's go to the next one. You got to get three out of five. Quote, it was shameful that... Wait, Le- wait, wait, wait. Jeff, so this yeah. is the first official question? This is the first official one. There was a test one. Okay, well, just okay. making sure. Yes, we want to see if you... You know, we want to get every, all the, the the kinks worked out before we started. Got I it. learned this from my broadcast hero, Howard Stern. Usually he's asking Betelgeuse who Batman is on these games, but uh, <laughs> uh, this this is... I, I kind of ripped this from Howard Stern. Other, Unlike most people, I admit the bits I steal from the king of all media. All right, so here's the first one. This is the official real one. you got to get three out of five. Quote, it was shameful that LeBron and his team lost two playoff games in Toronto against a team that didn't belong on the same floor. Who said it? I'll read Uh, it again. I'll read it again. It was shameful that LeBron and his team lost two playoff games in Toronto against a team that didn't belong on the same floor. Is that Wojo? Nope, that was oh, Skip, skipped, right? Ugh. Oh, man, I'm sorry. You can ask for ask Jasper for
1: help if you like No, I don't, I don't follow
0: any of the three okay. on Twitter myself, so I actually right. am in the dark here, oh, too. 0 for 1. We're in a hole, but we're, we're going to get out of it. Don't worry. Here's the next right. one. Durant Durant, and Thunder will never get better than I know fans. who this is. <laughs> Durant will have to hook up with multiple real stars, superstars to win a title. Wojanowski. That's, that's Wojo. Wojo. Okay, all right, oh, you're yeah. on the board. I knew one who that for, one was yeah. the second he said Durant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 1 for 1. Okay, next one. Quote, and yes, I did notice that Durant missed the layup at the end. Who was that, Stephen A. Smith, Wojnowski, or Skip Bayless? Skip. Stephen A. Smith. Oh. Uh-oh. We need we need two in a row here. Come on. Come on, we Dane. One. We need two in here. All, All right. There, Dane. All
1: right. Let's lock down. Okay. Well, wait. can Can actually, can Dane ask me... What he I, can I think you it help. is, because I don't yeah. know any of these. Yeah, so. because you would
0: be the Fred I'll Norris. I'll give my opinion. You'll be the Fred Norris of this game. You yeah, could, so feel right. free, Dane. You, you don't help. have to, but okay. I'll throw myself Quote, I, I probably will. Right. Quote, if you ever compared LeBron to Michael, as in Jordan, in any way, you should confess your sin and then never watch sports again. Hashtag truth. What do you think in there?
1: Jasper, what do you think?
0: I, this sounds like Wojo to me. I,
1: I don't think that... Oh, but, you know, I could see... I could see Skip doing something like this, too. Who, boy. Confess. he's not really religious, so that's a, that just sounds goofy. You know what? I'm going to say Wojo. I'm, I'm going to go with Wojo because of the hashtag. The hashtag is what yeah. sells me on this. Wojo. Well,
0: that's yeah. that's, that's the pretty good thinking. You probably
1: wouldn't say that, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, Wojo.
0: All right, it's all down to the last question. Yes! He got it. Thanks oh, to Jasper. Yeah. Let's go. Let's right. go, Dave. One last question. All right. All right. <laughs> I want you to win these tickets sponsored by KellyTickets.com. Mark Golden wants you to go to see a Tigers game. I'll say it again slowly. So there's right. no misunderstanding. Which teammates <laughs> has LeBron made appreciably better? Booby Gibson for a minute? Question mark. I'll read it again because this is for all the marbles. I'll say it again slowly, so there's no misunderstanding. Which teammates has LeBron made appreciably better? Booby Gibson for a minute? Question mark. Jasper? Jasper, what are you thinking? I I
1: think we're going to end this as we came into it. I believe this is Bob Wojnowski. I believe this is Wojo. I believe this is the nature boy Buddy Landell. Of sports writing <laughs> Wojo's. I'm going to go with Bob Wojanowski. Dane, I uh, I hope I did not lead you wrong here. You... The only
0: problem is that we've chosen him a little too much, but yeah, let's try it.
1: I think Jeff... No, here's what I'm going to say. I think Jeff wants to mock Wojo in this segment. That's why I Absolutely. also believe...
0: This was from June 10th, 2016 at 1121. 12 retweets, 50 likes. Oh, well, okay, Wojo, Wojo, Bob Wojanowski. Yeah, you yeah, have won yeah, the tickets. Yeah. You have nice. won the tickets. Nice Thank job, Dane. Yes. Uh, yes. I think Thank you. you got my email. Send me your information. I'll forward it to Mark Goldman at CaliTickets.com. CaliTickets.com for all your tickets needs. Uh, 877-225-8425. Like I said, I'm going to see some GNR uh, on Sunday at Soldier Field. He's going to hook me up. I'm going to pay for those tickets. Get my 10% DSR discount for mentioning the Detroit Sports Rag. Dane, by the way, Dane, That's if I had not
1: said Wojo on that last one, would who would you, would you have gone with Wojo? It just sounded ridiculous enough. Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> all right, thanks, Dane. Appreciate it. We'll no, give those you, tickets Jeff. to you. Thank you, Jasper. Yep. Thanks yeah. a lot. Screw you, Jeff.
1: Thank That's you, fine. Jasper. That's fine.
0: That's all right. You won the tickets, man. Hey, I don't follow any of those three just, guys, so I'm pretty proud that, of that. That was a close game, three to two. That just shows you how very little difference there is between the national imbeciles of Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, and Bob Wojnowski. Sure, the difference is Skip and Stephen A. are a little more eloquent. And they're making a lot more money. Wow. <laughs> All right, we're going to take one The newspapers don't sell like they used to. Actually, you know what? We should just wrap up the show. It's 647. Let's not go to a break. You want to talk about Yeah, that's anything. fine. What are
1: we, we going to talk about? Your talk terrible... About New nickname for the Red Wings second round draft choice. You don't like Black Decator? Dil- Blackd Black Decator? Black Decator. I Black-t-l-cater. think that's pretty entertaining. I I'll, listen when he gets to. I will it- say this: the the only two Black DSR readers in existence both ex- uh, exhibited shock, <laughs> disgust, and no, horror. No, Clarence Black just said. Fuck! That's all he said. Yeah. Oh, that's pro. Yeah, that's a very, very positive review of black Cater. How about African
0: North Americans? Well, be, well, okay. Because a lot because Giovanni Smith is from Canada, uh-huh. so I can't. So
3: glad so now. So I just want to keep this. I just want
0: to keep it very, very calm. T- African American, African and North American. Really? Okay. So,
1: what does that make somebody from Florida? African-American. No, they're an African-North American. We're in North America. An African-South American a joke. would be somebody it was a joke, like Jasper. Bobby Abreu.
0: It was a joke. I really hope Bobby Abreu was born in South America. <laughs> it, was a, it was a joke. African-North American was kind of like a gimmick. That was a gimmick? As, as was Black Decatur. I thought uh-huh. that was kind of funny. But
1: Really really doing a lot to get rid of those Terry Foster racism listen, rumors, aren't I, you, If Jeff?
0: I haven't built enough cachet in the African-American community and North African-American... North African, African North American community in the last. 13 You're screwing years. up your own terms.
1: Yes, all that trust you've built with the two DSR readers who are black. We have a lot more. I mean, hey, readers, look, look, Jeff. Hey, there's tens all, of thousands of Detroit in sports fairness readers. To you, Jeff, only 90 percent of the city of Detroit is black. So how could you find anyone
0: else who's African American? First of all, that's the only people who who actually there's others. There's other at black people who are on the Detroit sport. Greg. Uh, Wayne, um, Wayne Fonts. No, this guy's last name's Wayne. Gary Wayne, another African American who reads the site. But listen, the Detroit Sports Rag forums aren't exactly representative of the entire. That Detroit is true. Sports they are Rag also forum. they
1: are like ninety five percent lawyer based. So exactly, that's... that's
0: like one tenth of one percent of the entire <laughs> readership. The last podcast had what twelve thousand listens. Yeah, listens on SoundCloud, and we have 600, 600 people who participated in the forums, of which there's 600 members. I'd say there's about 70, 75 regulars. Yeah. So, okay, that's not exactly representative of everyone who reads the website. So, All right, well, I thanks, thank you to Jasper for mm-hmm. – getting in here on time today. You heard it
1: here first, folks. Jeff Moss says black people don't use the internet. That is so messed up, Jeff. I can't believe it. So I'm, now I'm looking for a new managing
0: editor and a new <laughs> co-host of the show. <laughs> Jessica, as always, does a great job on the board and doesn't insult me at all. Even, when, she, even, even when she's drunk on air, but yes. Exactly. Well, no, we had our issue about Darren McCarty, but... <laughs> You know, we're not going to get rehash that. Just like we're not going to rehash you and uh, Justin going back and forth over Andre Drummond or him kicking you off the Vegas trip. We're not going to get into any of that. Okay. Maybe next Thursday. That's fine. We
1: can discuss all of that. I'm the one. I ended it first. I want to make that very clear. I broke up with him. Oh, you did? Yeah. I said I was (laughs) done first. I mean, that's a whole. We should just come in like tomorrow and just like hash. We up. really should bring Justin in here so we can see if. Remember that old show? Oh, do
3: I miss Justin? Uh, yeah, I like all, you. We all if miss
1: just, Justin. I, if Justin will come in here and have an argument with me, and we can either fix
0: things or kill each other on you, air. Remember that show? I'm that down that was on? with either one. Remember that show that was on? option two can't happen. Remember that okay. show was on for like three weeks that Jerry Seinfeld produced called the Marriage Ref.
1: Uh, yes, actually, I so do. I we, believe I remember that and how we do it. Right? As maybe well. we can
0: get like some local celebrities, like the people you hang out with: at Bella Piotti, Mark Wahlberg. What's Michael Michael Bay? Car- Car- Carmichael Ma- Carmichael's first name? I guess they're doing the Transformers movie down there. Mm-hmm. So we'll get some celebrities in. We'll put them in the three chairs, and then you and Justin can hash it out, and we can figure out who's right in this divorce because you guys were BFFs, and this BFF between you and Justin
1: lasted a lot shorter than him and Bohenek. Well, Justin hates me a lot more than he hates Bohenek, so... Uh,
0: I can't imagine you did anything worse than I didn't think so either, but apparently... We'll get Carmichael... Next time Carmichael's in, the sh- in there, we'll go down to Wahlberg. Maybe we can just broadcast it from Wahlburgers? Yeah, it's opening it's, it's, in, in listen, a month? We got a month? Seriously, you have to start thinking outside you know, the box. You know, wait, wait, wait. You
1: know Mark Wahlberg's
0: business partner is the owner of Bella Piazzi, right? Okay, motherfucker, why <laughs> aren't you thinking on your feet? Why do I have Get you? it
3: together, Jasper. The guy is says he has
0: 145 IQ. Why aren't we doing a live remote from the opening night of yeah. Um Because Mark Wahlberg doesn't know who I am. Well, business. Can you work on that? Well, we'll see. Other than
1: sung the twelve dollars, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna promise anything because if if I do promise something and it doesn't go exactly to, as planned, Justin Spiro will jump down no, my throat. No,
0: no. <laughs> Work on. Let's do a live remote. Tell him we get twelve. I mean, we got a decent sized show here. I'll see yeah. what I we can do. We get celebrity guests right. like Bob okay. Page. I will say right. this:
1: Nino uh, my the oh, the business partner of Wark Wahlberg is a shameless shame horse. So. Okay,
0: look, we just want to do our show from there and and promote. Wallburgers burgers Burgers. Are we done? I right, probably yeah. shouldn't be. Done. Yeah. Okay. So Look it. Work minutes. on that. Wrap I'll come in there. Please. I'll all talk right. about it. We'll figure this My out. My wife and I will come to Bella Piatti
1: Melissa missed. Yeah. I think that it would be better if you
0: didn't come. Oh, okay. But <laughs> well, come on. Let's. I'm do, kidding. This would be, be great. Okay. We'll figure Opening this all out. Burgers, right. Detroit sports rag. We'll have the marriage ref. Spiro can come down with the beautiful Lynn and Evelyn, maybe. Oh. And uh, Jessica can be there to say hi to her friend. So, Sorry if you weren't into Bob Page, Justin, but I appreciate your kind words about the uh, material on the DSR lately. Uh, One day maybe you'll be back in studio or at Wahlburgers. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks for Jessica for producing. And Jasper, we will see you probably – I'm going to be in Chicago next week. Thanks Uh, most to Bob Page, by the way. Oh, yeah, I said yeah, Bob Page. We'll probably be on next Thursday night instead of Tuesday. We'll work on that. So have a good week, everyone. You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast.